You see what I mean? Literally the last episode was Journey to Babel. And then we have this. I'm gonna go and be real. I actually debated the lamentation status for this for some time. I did one of my little walks around the apartment, you know. Because, I mean, this episode sucks. And I couldn't think of anything redeeming about it. But I was trying to think, does it deserve... Because remember, it needs that extra oomph to really be lamentation status. But then I realized there's the healing scene, there's the druggy scene, and then there's just the general aggressive, not funny aspect of the B-plot. And I... Th I think between those three things, and the fake-out death, if we want to add that to the list... Oh, excuse me, two fake-out deaths. Yeah, no, I'm I'm going to go ahead and just give this a... Blah. This was written by Don Ingalls, the guy who wrote The Alternative Factor, one of our other Lamentations. To be clear, none of that was planned. I never plan Lamentations out in advance. I am actually as surprised as you are. However, in the interest of fairness... Gene Ronberry did a substantial rewrite of this episode, and we know what I think of his writing. Here's the thing, though. Check this out. If you pull up Memory Alpha right now, or two years ago when I'm actually sitting here, but, you know, if I when I pulled it up today, it's like, this episode was rewritten to get rid of the, by Ronberry, to get rid of the overt Vietnam parallels that were in the original script. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense, because there's some obvious Vietnam parallels here. In the final script, they do reference the Vietnam situation. They just don't name it Vietnam. That's the only, that's the variance there. But check this out. I found a quote here by Don Ingalls. You write this? Okay, check this out. The quote, it's a very short one, but it says uh, in an in a interview with Starlog, my script was more of an adventure in a vacuum. Gene's, Roddenberry's, script was more of a political statement. His story was more tilted to parallel Vietnam than I did. So which one's telling the truth? Your guess is as good as mine. I'm just here to report on this stuff. God, where do I begin? So the Mugato shows up. Actually, I'll give them this. The Mugato outfit isn't bad. It's, it's better than the Tellarites. So, okay, I'll give you that. Here's the catch, though. <clears throat> the Mugatu uh, is is specifically referenced as having tracks that they can follow. And, of course, saving money on budget was a really big issue at this point in history, so they reused footage from Shore Leave for the giant bunny. So tell me something. Do you think the writing sucks, or Kirk's an idiot? Take your pick. Kirk asserts strongly, that these people are perfectly in sync with each other, superior to humans in every way. They're going to live out, there's this whole paradise thing, a paradise that includes Mugatus and weird moving herbs, but a paradise nonetheless. And that these people have no infighting amongst themselves, which is what infighting is, which is why I'm repeating myself because I'm an idiot. <laughs> they have no infighting, right? So there's only two possibilities here. Either they really did have no infighting, in which case the writing is stupid, or they had infighting and Kirk never knew about it and thus was an idiot. Take your pick. If you're wondering, by the way, do keep in mind that while this could be argued, 
based on the events of the episode, it's pretty clear that the inclusion of the external influence is not what led people to going off and, you know, being evil, turning into marauders, to use my own terminology. They just kind of were leaning that way, and then they were given the tools to do so. Or if I were to use my own terminology again, power does not corrupt, power enables. That would imply, that the uh, and based on the sequence of the episode, that the only reason these people have decided not to go all a-killing on each other is because they didn't have the ability to. So that's a possibility. But bows and arrows are quite deadly, and tactics is a thing regardless of the weapons you're using. So basically, bad writing. Which is what I'm leaning towards, by the way, if it's not obvious. So then Kirk is like, hey, oh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't interfere. Remember, the prime director, prime director. Okay, okay. So we won't shoot the locals to save our friend. Okay, that's cool. Instead, uh, I'll throw a rock, and then we'll rush off. And we, this is the first of, I think, three total references to the Klingons breaking the treaty. Now, this is part of that bad writing thing, because the breaking the treaty thing, once it's mentioned the third and final time, never comes up again, even when they have demonstrable proof that the Klingons are arming the locals. Now, that's important, because their reaction to the Klingons breaking the treaty is to do the exact same thing in response, which I'll cover that later. But my point is, that's not breaking the treaty at that point. In fact, nothing they do indicates any kind of aggressive action against the Federation or Starfleet, so there's no treaty violations here. If anything... They are following the Organian laws as laid out back in Trouble with Tribbles in showing that they know how to properly develop the planet by helping the locals to develop it and basically forming a puppet state, which will then become a puppet state underneath the Klingon Empire. I'm just saying, there's no treaty violation. That's my point, really. As a further aside, I'm curious, what exactly do they do if there is a treaty violation? Do they go to the Organians and say, hey... Like, are the Gideons actually policing this? I'm really curious, because it never comes up. <clears throat> Anywho, naturally, they're like, Oh, no, we've got to do something, and <gasps> Spock gets shot. No, no, Spock is super dead. Oh, he's totally dead. They're definitely going to kill the most popular character on the show when they're already struggling to maintain... Uh, uh, not ratings. That's, I mean, I guess that is valid. <sighs> when they're trying to... Renew, when they're trying to renew for Season 3. This is a good time as any to talk about the B-plot. So they bring in Mabenga. I don't mind him. He's actually kind of cool. He shows up in one more episode uh, sometime in Season 3. I forget where exactly. But what I do mind is that apparently Vulcan's method of healing is stupid. <laughs> it's not that stupid. I don't have... I, it's not that terrible. I could think of worse. I can't. Like how Bajorans give birth, for example, would be something that I would consider to be worse. Nevertheless, what I do have to comment on is every single one of the B-plot scenes, and this is one of the things that push this in the lamentation category, is funny. I mean, can't you see how bad of a cook Neelix is? That's hysterical. The best part, though, is none of the scenes are even comedic. The only way I would know that they were intended to be comedic is because of the musical cue that plays when something funny happens. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't even know it was intended to be comedic because there's no jokes and no lighthearted tone. It's just a scene, which has Nurse Chapel being embarrassed. That's it. Okay. 
So that's aggressively aggravating and actually irritating. Moving on. Next we move up to... Uh, the locals. I try really hard to be tolerant and understanding about the effects of the time, but they look terrible. The, the jackets are alright. What they apparently did is they took some goatskin jackets, cut off the sleeves, and turned them inside out. Not bad given the limitations, but those wigs? Who thought wigs was a good idea? These aren't good wigs, and it's really obvious they're all wearing wigs. It looks terrible. It, it's, it looks like the kind of thing I would actually expect from a grade school play. That is not hyperbole. I have actually seen grade school plays with roughly the level of that kind of costuming, especially when it comes to the wigs. <sighs> this is a good time to mention that the guest stars suck. There's four, roughly, that actually have lines and dialogue. There's the Klingon dude, who's pathetic. There's Appella, who's pathetic, and tries to do very, very coarse and blunt, as you know, exposition. So that's that's not a good sign for the writing. There's, of course, um, you know, I don't remember their name. Uh, it's Tyree and Nona. Actually, funny thing, the woman who plays Nona does the best she can, and she's actually a decent actress in other works, but she does not do a good job here. And this is Mark Daniels, so you can't say it's a directing problem. Uh, I could say it's a scripting problem. <laughs> this is a good time to mention, by the way, Mr. Klingon guy was actually supposed to be Coor. What's funny is that was vetoed on the grounds that I can't, we can't use core again. You can't just randomly run into them. That's nonsense. Which is good logic. But the, the, the problem here is that th there were three, excuse me, two other incidents where they were supposed to run into core that we're totally cool with. Once that's already happened in Trouble of Tribbles, and once that's going to happen in Day of the Dove. But it wasn't okay here. It is worth noting that we have had a shift in management, so that might be part of the problem here. Anyways, so the guest stars suck, and we find out that she has put a spell on him, which which means she drugged him, in order to fall in love with her. It's also mentioned that what she does is basically not really falling in love. It's basically just... I don't know, I'd, I'd say being high, but I've never been high, so I don't know how to describe that. It is portrayed as kind of a drug trip, and you just kind of go, oh, oh, I need you. I need you. So, so I don't know, it's it's a combination of rhinoceros horn and LCD. I don't freaking know. What I do know is that that's what she uses to control the tribe. No, really, that's not even me presuming it. That is absolutely what she does. There's a reason she goes to try and reach out to Appella, because he will be the one to lead our tribe to the future. Now, I want you to keep all of that in mind, because this is part of what I mentioned earlier. You cannot tell me that these people have no infighting when there's women like her. And yes, I get it, the one woman in the paradise. By the way, this is not the first or the second time they've brought up the man-leaving-paradise theme and it will not be the last. It will come up at least one more time that I can think of. So that's cool. They even flat out means it's mentioned we need to get a hundred serpents. Come on. <sighs> so she's in charge of the tribe. And she is. She's the one actually in charge. Uh, what what do they call her? A Kanutu. Uh, so... She demands to know the truth about space travel and the stars as price for saving Kirk's life. Okay. 
then she starts being really manipulative. Uh, I won't. I, I will talk to people unless you teach me about how to use these weapons. And she's constantly pushing this "we must be dominant, we must take over" thing. It could be argued that the only reason she is this way is because the the village tribes have already started pushing against them. But I don't buy that for a millisecond. Like I said earlier, I will give you, however, if you want to make that argument, that's a valid argument. I just I just don't buy it personally. This then leads to the second reason why this episode deserves lamentation status for me. The healing scene, which goes on way too long, and just involves her... I don't even know how to put it. Like, I'm... I'm she's... And that's... I just told you the scene. It just stretched that out by about six or seven times, and you've got the scene. It's really, really stupid, awkward, uncomfortable, padding, boring, dumb. Now, here's the funny part. If it had been chopped down in duration, and they'd done something else with it, or maybe cut away to them talking about something, or maybe showing something going on on the ship, anything else, this would have worked for me. And you know why? This is how they control the people. You'll notice that there's an undercurrent theme here. The Kanutu, who are probably not all women. They, they, nothing says that, so I'd assume... The fact that Kirk was surprised that she was, was one just implies that that's just another tribe. The tribe who knows how to work with medicine controls the people by pretending to do rituals in order to accomplish the actual medical knowledge they have and thus perform miracles. They even call them spells. The way that she casts a spell on him by getting him doped up. The way she binds her soul with Kirk's by using the root in order to purify the poison, indicates very clearly that this is just a load of mumbo-jumbo that they are pushing in character in order to maintain their political position, which makes perfect sense and, once again, emphasizes the idea that there's no way there's no infighting on this planet. That's as close to as intelligent as this episode gets, though, so savor it. This is a good time to mention... Maybe it's just because I've been working with the camera a lot lately and trying to improve my setup, but... You know how I mentioned... I don't remember the episode. There was a while ago where there was audio issues, just weird ducking issues. Or not ducking, excuse me. Um, uh, noise removal issues. There's weird focusing issues. There are several sections where the, the camera just comes completely out of focus. Funnily enough, Mark Daniels had never done location shooting before this and commented on this. And... I don't know if that's to do with it. I don't know if that's related, but I'm just mentioning it because there was a lot of location shooting, a lot of focusing issues, which just kind of didn't help an already bad episode. Either way, so she demands to be let in, and he mentions, I have faith in our friendship at about the 29-minute mark. This then leads to the part where they talk, they describe what marauding is. Now, I'm going to describe that really quick because I don't think that's really come up in our Star Trek stuff. And as usual, I'm trying lately to not presume you watch all of my stuff. So a marauding power is one that produces nothing, generates nothing, both culturally and personally. Well, it doesn't have to be culture. Personally, in terms of infrastructure or resources or, or actual advancement or research, any, anything, basically. Instead, just goes around taking from others and exists as effectively a fully parasitic organism. I'm pretty against marauding powers, by the way. In fact, I am extremely against marauding powers, which is part of why I'm coming across so negatively here. 
So we hear the Appella guy and the Klingon guy, and he says, yeah, no, uh, we're so much happier killing. It's so much easier than trading, and it has its pleasures, yes, pleasures of killing. I myself enjoy, it's like the hunt, but even better. Power enables. We also have to mention that they, they the Klingon gives this one thing, the commands, advice, I don't know what to call it. They had trouble dividing the woman. Hard to divide a woman amongst people. And he says, oh, that's easy. Give the woman to the one who kills the most. That way they'll learn the right lesson. Ignoring the obvious fact that women are being treated as property, which actually kind of happens towards the end of the episode, too. What the crap, man? We then get our tiny insight into the why the Klingons are doing this. This is their method of conquest. They show up. This is actually smart, to be completely blunt. They show up. They arm one faction on a planet, and then improve their armament, improve their armament, and get them better and stronger and better and stronger, until they are strong enough to conquer the planet. Then they name the leader of that faction governor under the Klingon Empire, and now the Klingon Empire has a new planet under its jurisdiction. Smart. I think you could do that in Stellaris, now that I'm thinking about it. But again, this this makes me wonder why all the attempted subterfuge, why the why the treaty violation thing. The Federation has a prime directive. The Klingons don't. Oh, and by the way, you'll notice that the prime directive is violated all over the place constantly in this episode. So let's just leave that one alone. I suppose that brings me to my next point: violating the prime directive deliberately, knowingly, and purposely. Equalization. We need to make sure there is a balance of power. This is when Vietnam is not name-dropped, but referenced. Which was a, ter a terrible thing to reference for this kind of thing, but let's not get into that. What, uh, what the crap? What do you guys think? I'm just going to leave the table open on this one, because the idea as posited is thus. Our enemy, who is a major power, is empowering a local tribe in order to take control of it through this puppet state. It is thus our job, in order to ensure that things develop normally, in order to arm the other side, note side, not sides, in order to ensure a balance of power. It's the only thing we can do. Now this is Kirk's argument. This is the only good scene in the entire episode, by the way, I almost said film. Because Kirk and McCoy argue this, and McCoy is arguing very strongly against it. Kirk flat out admits, okay, fine, fine, maybe I'm upset, maybe I'm drugged. You give me your answer. Remember, he actually asked McCoy down specifically because he wanted that sane, sensible advice that he couldn't get from Spock. You know what McCoy's answer is? None. So what would you do? I'll go and tell you what I would do. I would very carefully and very precisely remove the guns from the equation and the ability to produce them. You can't tell me what the level of technology and access that the Federation has that they couldn't do this. And you're probably thinking, well, what about... It? The Klingons would find out. You're arming the locals. The Klingons are going to find out anyways. So that's no longer on the table. Trying to stay subterfuge That's gone. Treaty violation? No actual treaty violation, remember? We already talked about that. Violation of the Prime Directive. Again, you're already violating the Prime Directive by arming the locals. So, reduction, that is to say, remove from the equation, rather than add to the equation. 
there are two ways to balance a game. And I know I'm coming at this from a game design perspective, so forgive me for my total ignorance and stupidity. But there are two ways to balance a game. Build up, so everything's equal. Or build down, so everything's equal. In my opinion, based on what I'm seeing, building down seems like the better option. Would that solve the fighting? Absolutely not. Because the people who have a desire to be a marauding power would still do so, and would probably do better than the other powers in question. So we still have that, but at least the external influences have been removed from the equation, which is the stated goal. What would you do? By the way, that's what I would do if it was a federation. If this was not federation and the PD wasn't limiting my hands, I would probably do a lot more. So then she drugs him. Oh yeah, but this is the third and final reason why this episode deserves lamentation status. She drugs and tries to seduce Kirk. And it goes on uncomfortably long, and they just, oh my god, whatever. This has Roddenberry's fingertips all over it, I'm telling you. Tyree almost shoots him, by the way. I do like that. I, I do like that tittle tidbit. And then the Mugatu attacks, and Kirk is so out of it he can't even help her. That That's amusing as well. I'll give you that one. Now, I wrote in my notes, then she gets kidnapped, but actually, that's not really the word for what they're doing to her, is it? I'm not going to state the word, because that's horrible. But this is really weird. This woman has been completely sure of herself on top of things, and more than capable of handling herself in all situations. She has a phaser and a knife, and yet she is disarmed and treated like she is a non-combatant repeatedly in this interaction. Thus, she can then get killed, which then makes Tyree say, I want to kill everyone, and I've, I've given a taste for violence, yeah, yeah, yeah. And congratulations, this is probably the worst of all worlds. Yay? And then we have the line about paradise, because we have to hammer in the, the symbolism, we can't just let it be there. The end. Uh, I'm sorry, this episode was rather difficult to slog through. And it, what's funny is it's not like some episodes where it's just in-your-face nonsense the whole time. It was just meandering around so hard, it was, it was, I was struggling to come up with why I didn't like it, and I've come up with the answer. It's because the script is total garbage. Oh, really? Funnily enough, this was one of my biggest complaints about the alternative factor, too. The script doesn't think about itself at all. It is a half-baked idea which is not explored, and then turned into an episode. This feels like a second draft, and the fact that Roddenberry did rewrites on it makes me wonder if it was a second draft, or a first draft. I got nothing, guys. I'm sorry. I know I like to... I know some of you really look forward to the Lamentation episodes, and I've certainly done more discussions on what episodes have done wrong other than this one, but unfortunately, this one's just bleh. So I got nothing else. The Mugatos were cool. <laughs> I hope, as ever... You have enjoyed my thoughts. See you next time.